I wanted to begin our, our time for the second uh, part in a more informal way uh, by asking, do you have any questions about our ministry, about the Passover? And, and I know that that's a scary thing. We might spend the whole time doing questions right now, but I, I want to make sure you understood what we were going through. And um, I know some of you are on the phone, and that made things difficult as far as saying, but any questions about the Passover or about Chosen People Ministries? Um, when Jesus was on the cross, didn't they use hyssop and vinegar? Does, uh, do you see the significance of that with the Passover? With the, the soldiers? I, I can't hear. Has any? Can anyone hear that or can we do that question via chat? Uh, we could we could hear. Um, he asked about the vinegar when Jesus was on the and cross hyssop. and and hyssop, and um, what the significance of that is. Is that right, Mr. Slotfeld? That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Right. That that was something that was done. That's outside of the Passover, but that was basically used. You know, there there are different thoughts. There was something that was given to to deaden the pain. And Jesus actually re rejected that, uh, but uh, some say he was he was given wine vinegar, you know, just as an added part of bitterness. Because when you're on the cross, you have such a great deal of thirst, and and to be given that something bitter, it just adds to the bitterness of what's going on. So, you know, th there were a couple of different things going on when Jesus was crucified. Uh, but one drink he refused, the other one he took, but it was because of the, the, the bitterness. He didn't want the pain deadened that he was experiencing, uh, but he, he did uh, drink that, that vinegar, uh, which just added to the bitterness of the experience. Any other questions about the Passover or about our ministry with chosen people? Okay. I have a question. Okay, good. Ask, ask your question, please. Why would the father buy the uh, bread back from the kid who found it? That's, you know, there are certain traditions that there's not a clear explanation about within Judaism. Like the breaking of the middle matzah, why the middle one is broken. I haven't heard anything significant about why the middle one is broken, except for that Whenever anything is broken in Judaism, it refers to the destruction of the temple. But that really doesn't make sense in terms of the meaning of the matzahs. But the, the middle piece being hunted down and found basically becomes a game within Judaism uh, to engage the children and to keep the children involved. But the buying back of that piece, you know, not only does it keep children engaged, but for us, it reminds us that that thing that was taken and buried and brought back is something of great value. And, and that's the, the message of the gospel. It's Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. So the, the child that, that finds that piece of bread, you know, he, he, he's given a physical reward. Uh, for us who are believers in Jesus, when, when we find the truth of the gospel, uh, we found a great reward. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me throw out some, some more things for you to jot down here. One is my email address. So if you have any other questions, 
by all means, you can you can ask them now still, but you can also email me. My email is jfox, jfox at chosenpeople.com, uh, jfox at chosenpeople.com. Uh, and certainly, I have a lot more time on my hands than normal, so I, I'd love to, to hear from you. Even if you want to get together via Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or some other way to talk about different aspects of Judaism and how they tie into Christianity or about the Jewish people in general, I would want to do that. So uh, please shoot me an email. Also, if you go to our website, chosenpeople.com, there is so much information there uh, about Passover, about the holidays, uh, about the Jewish people. Uh, and also, there's a lot of books for sale that you can purchase as well. Uh, and, and also, if you saw that slide earlier, chosenpeople.com slash pray for Jim. Uh, that gives you the opportunity to sign up for a prayer letter so you can be praying for us. Gives you the opportunity to give toward our ministry. Uh, and certainly, uh, again, we, we value your prayer and uh, your support of us. Um, any other questions before I start talking about the Spring Feasts here? Okay, well, if you have your scripture with you, turn with me to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, I, I know just bringing up the name Leviticus can be a scary thing. Uh, it, it, you begin the year going through, reading through the Bible in a year, and you get to Genesis and Exodus and things just tracking along, you get to Leviticus and all of a sudden it, it, it goes, you know, down the wayside. Why? Because there's so much there that we can't relate to. Uh, but again, it's all inspired and it's all important for us. And especially Leviticus chapter 23, because, because that deals with all the holidays that God gave the Jewish people. And if you look at Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4, it says, These are the appointed times of the Lord. Holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. Uh, in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall, do, shall not do any laborious work, but for seven days you shall pre present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. That's basically what we were just talking about. And it's two holidays here in Leviticus 23. You have the holiday of Passover itself, remembering what God did in delivering his people from their slavery in Egypt. And then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is actually a week long, where they eat unleavened bread for that entire week including the, the day of Passover before, obviously. Uh, but by eating that, remembering uh, that they had to eat unleavened bread as they left Egypt because there wasn't enough time for the bread to rise. Now, we've spoken at length about this, so I'm not going to share a whole lot here except for the fact that the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us of the fact that Jesus was without sin. Again, Leaven within Scripture is a picture of sin. Jesus was without sin, and we see that uh, through the, the picture of the unleavened bread. Uh, again, there's so many other pictures that we can point to, but the, the greatest one is the picture of that perfect spotless lamb that was 
uh, for us. Uh, again, as I go through this, if you have any questions, by all means, unmute and ask. Uh, but we're going to go on to the next passage here. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I am going to give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Uh, this is a feast of first fruits, and there's a, a number of significant things to say about this. First of all, the idea of the feast of first fruits. I want you to get the picture of that because uh, Israel, when it went into its land after they wandered in the wilderness, uh, became pretty much an agricultural society. So that meant that they, they planted in the early spring, and then as it got through the spring, you began to get the first fruits of the, the crops. Now, conventional thinking would be we need to hold on to the first fruits because this is what we have to live on for the rest of the year. Uh, and then, you know, as the rest of the crops come in, then we have crops to share, crops to, shell, to sell, crops to, to give to the Lord, and, and there'll be plenty if we wait till the end of the harvest when we have everything. But think about what God is saying here. When those first fruits come in, God says, I want you to give those to me. And you say, but wait, what happens if there's a flood? What happens if there's a drought? What happens if there's a blight, a disease that destroys all the crops? What happens if there are enemies that come and plunder the land and take away all our crops? At least we would have our first fruits, but now you're telling us, God, to to give them to you. And basically, this idea of the Feast of First Fruits is, is a challenge of faith. God is saying, give me your first, give me your best, and trust me for the rest of the harvest. Uh, so it was built into the annual schedule, the annual cycle of the Jewish people and their holidays to, to have to give by faith to the Lord, to trust him. Now, the question for us is are we willing to trust God uh, in our giving? Especially in times like this. Listen, we're in that place where we are anxious, where we are fearful, where many want to hold on to everything that they have because we don't know what tomorrow is quite going to look like yet. You know, I believe that this is going to pass and we're going to return to some form of normal, but there are others who are not convinced and they're holding on to everything. Are we willing to trust God and still give toward the work of the church, still give to what God is doing and those things that we've committed to, still give to help others uh, during this time, trusting that God is going to continue to provide for our needs? Uh, that's, a, that's a big challenge for us, and I pray that, that we would all be mindful of that challenge. But I also want you to see the timing here of this feast. It says in verse 11, he shall wave the sheep before the, uh, before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. Well, there's a Sabbath every week. Which Sabbath is he speaking about? Well, when we interpret Scripture, we need to go back to the last thing that was spoken about. What was the last holiday that was spoken about in this passage? 
Anybody? It was the Passover, right? We just spoke about the Passover. So basically what's going on here is God saying this holiday of first fruits takes place the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. Why is that significant? Well, because we know what the scripture says, right? Jesus died on the Passover. He spent the Sabbath in the grave. What happened the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover? That, that Passover, Jesus died. He rose from the grave? He rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. And what does the scripture tell us? That Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that we will one day rise with him. So I want you to, to think about how these scriptures, these holidays, point prophetically. The, the Passover obviously has a significance for the Jewish people in and of itself, but it speaks prophetically of the perfect spotless lamb who's going to come and die. The Feast of First Fruits uh, speaks powerfully of a, a challenge of faith to the Jewish people in the midst of everything that's going on, but it also points to that that gift that's waved, that's lifted up to God the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover, that first fruits that's given to God. And again, how the scripture powerfully speaks to us about Jesus' resurrection because he rose from the dead. We know that we will one day rise with him. Any questions so far before we go on to the, the last of the spring feasts? I have a question. Sure, go ahead. Um, so does the Passover fall in the same relation to Sabbaths every year? Or like with our calendar, you know, it's not always, like Christmas isn't always on a Sunday or a Monday. Does it change from year to year? It, it does because the Jewish calendar is based upon the lunar calendar while our, our calendar is based upon the solar calendar. So, you know, the Passover can take place usually anywhere in, in March and April because of the way the calendars work out. Sometimes it works out that Passover will fall exactly on, on Good Friday and, you know, it, it almost correlates there, but not always. But again, these holidays are based upon the Jewish calendar, so it's, it's always going to be on the same calendar date for Jewish people, although it doesn't count correspond to the same calendar date when it comes to our calendar. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, actually, a second question, similar. Do they... Continue, since the Sabbath keeps happening every week, do they have a Sabbath during the the seven days? Like, do they have their non-working days for Passover and a non-working day for Sabbath? Right. Uh, that's a very, very good question, and it leads to a couple of interesting thoughts. First of all, each holiday within Judaism, besides the Sabbath itself, each holiday is considered the Sabbath. So. The, the Passover, in effect, functions as a Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work on it. Other holidays, as they arise, are considered Sabbaths. When it comes to this one particular Sabbath for the Feast of First Fruits, uh, again, think about it. You have Passover, and then you have the Feast of First Fruits. So Passover can happen any day, count, any day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, Sunday. But 
whenever you have that Passover, within that week, that seven-day period, there's going to be another Sabbath. So when it comes to this offering that's being brought, this offering of first fruits, it's always going to be unleavened. Because it's always going to take place during that Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, so that's an interesting twist that's, that's put upon this one Sabbath, this one holiday. Uh, but it's significant because, again, Jesus was that unleavened first fruit for us. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Good, good. Any other questions? Okay, I want to try to get you guys out on time. So let's go on to the next feast, and we'll pick up the action in verse 15. It says, you shall count for yourself from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring it in from your dwelling place, two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Let's, let's uh, talk about this because it's another feast of first fruits. And again, it, it talks about first fruits. Actually, within that society, the, the culture, there were different first fruits that came in. That first feast of first fruits, the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover, that was the first fruits of the barley harvest. This is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. But I want you to see a couple of things here about, first of all, the timing. It's seven Sabbaths after that Sabbath where you waved the, the first fruits. So seven weeks within Judaism, this holiday is called the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. Uh, but it, then it says, seven Sabbaths you shall count 50 days to the day after the Sabbath. 50 days, well, there's another name for this holiday that's more familiar to us, and it's Pentecost, right? And Pentecost just basically means 50. Uh, and, and here we have this holiday that comes 50 days, and we think typically of Pentecost being a Christian holiday, but it's actually a Jewish holiday. It's this Feast of Weeks, this other Feast of First Fruits. But think of what's going on here. Uh, it takes place those seven weeks after. It's another offering of First Fruits, except this one is with leaven. And the interesting thing is it's two loaves that are being lifted up. Why do I say that that's significant? Well, think about what happened on that Feast of Weeks after Jesus died and rose from the, the dead. What happened on that Feast of Weeks after Jesus died and rose from the dead? Remember Acts chapter 2? Yeah. Yeah. Pe Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. It, it, that was that Jewish feast, Pentecost. And you need to understand the nature of these holidays. There were three holidays where everyone, all Jewish people, no matter where you lived in the world, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship. One was the Passover, one was the Feast of Weeks, and the other was the Feast of Tabernacles. So again, think of this Feast of Weeks after Jesus died. 
you had all these Jewish people who had come from all over the world. They had lived in other areas where they had different languages besides Hebrew or Aramaic that they were speaking. And they all came, and what happened? The Spirit of God comes, right, and fills those early believers, and they become the first fruit of a different kind. They become two loaves, Jew and Gentile together being lifted up to the Lord with leaven, because that's who we are, right? We're not sinless. We're not without leaven. Uh, we're sinful people. Uh, and yet, on that feast of Pentecost that happened so long ago, uh, we, we see it fulfilled in the beginning of what we call the church today. Uh, so it's a, it's a powerful, powerful, again, prophetic fulfillment and a punctuated reminder of the importance of first fruits. You know, that's something we don't particularly want to be reminded of, but God wants us to live by faith and to give by faith. But it's something that he thought was important enough to punctuate with two separate holidays to, to share that truth. But I, I want to share something else here that comes not from the scriptures, but from traditional Judaism. Because within traditional Judaism, this Feast of Pentecost has a significance, not only as being the, first, the Feast of First Fruits, but the way it's celebrated today, Jewish people today celebrate the Feast of, this Feast of Weeks as being the time when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. Did you hear that? This is a reminder when God gave the law on Mount Sinai. Why is that important? Well, if you have your scriptures with you, turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 is one of the darkest days in Israel's history, and it was really, really young as a nation at this point. They were at the mountain. Moses was up there with God receiving the law. And in the midst of that, the people basically lose interest. And they say to Aaron, you know, we don't know what's happened to this Moses guy. You make us another God to, to worship. And, you know, Aaron ends up making this golden calf and they start worshiping and just going on a crazy holiday with this golden calf. And God says to Moses, you know, you need to go down there. These three people are really messed up right now and you need to do something about it. Uh, and Moses goes down and he sees everything going out of control. Uh, and the first person he talks to is Aaron, according to the scriptures theory. And it's, it's, if it wasn't so sad, it would be comical because Moses goes up to Aaron and says, what's going on here? What happened? What did you do? And Aaron said, well, you know these people. They're constantly doing silly things like this. And then he says, they asked me to make this calf, and they gave me this gold, and I threw it into the oven, and out came this calf. Now, is that really what happened? I don't think so. I think basically Aaron was putting it off on the people and some other, who knows what kind of supernatural event he was trying to uh, suggest there, but he was saying, it was, it's not my fault. You know, the people were messed up. 
and and I didn't make this gaff. It just sort of popped out of this oven. But the reality is, he made the gaff. Um, he was not willing to accept that responsibility. But then, let's pick it up in Exodus 32, verse 25. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, and listen to the commentary here, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, every man of you put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the, the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. Now listen very carefully. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Think of that. The, the tragedy of that day. The law was being given and 3,000 died. Now let's go back to Acts chapter 2. Some of you might know where I'm going with this. Again, according to tradition, this is the same time of the year. This is the Feast of Weeks when uh, allegedly the law was given. And we go to Acts chapter 2. And I want you to, to look at Peter preaches a message throughout Acts chapter 2, a very powerful message. Uh, and in verse 41, so then, those who had received his word, again, people came to the Lord, were baptized, and that day there were added about what? How many? 3,000. Now that number sounds familiar, doesn't it? When the law was given, 3,000 died. When the Spirit comes, 3,000 find life. Uh, and that just shares with us and reminds us of the truth that the law brings death. And I want to be very careful about the way I say this, because people have different thoughts and ideas about the law. The Scripture is very, very clear that the law is not the problem. The law is God's standard of righteousness. Paul in Romans chapter 7 says the law is holy and righteous and good. Uh, the problem is us. Uh, we're sinners, and basically all the law can do for us is point out to us, you're a sinner, you deserve to die. You're a sinner, you deserve to die. You're a sinner, you deserve to die. That's all the law can do. Uh, but when the Spirit of God comes, when Jesus dies, he rises again, uh, and the Spirit does his work in us, we are able to do what we can't do just by the law alone. The law can't save anybody. That's why Jesus was necessary. It was only through his sacrifice, paying the price for our sins, that we have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live holy and righteous lives. We have the freedom of the burden of our sin and the ability to, to move toward him, to repent when we do sin and have that restored relationship. So that's the, the, the Feast of Weeks. Any questions about the Feast of Weeks? I have one, one or two more quick comments after this, uh, and then you know, we'll, we'll be able to close. But any, any comments?
comments on the, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost? Looks like this week's is a uh, celebration time versus the Passover, right? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not hearing the question. Well, I'm thinking this, this week's is a celebration time. The, the, the Feast of Weeks? Yes. Uh, it is a celebration because it's a reminder of the, the first fruits in God's provision. Uh, but not as much as uh, the Passover is is more of a celebration, and later on the Feast of Tabernacles is is more of a celebration. Um, you know, the first Feast of First Fruits. It all depends upon the attitude of the heart, doesn't it? Whether we're giving the first fruits cheerfully, trusting God, saying God provided this and He's going to provide the rest, or the, whether we say, Well, we have this, but God wants it now. Now I need to sit and wait whether we're going to have more later. <laughs> it, what we do with any particular holiday is a matter of our heart, but this is supposed to be, like many of the holidays, a time of, of rejoicing. Well, I was saying, you know, the, the, the uh, Passover was like uh, unleavened bread and uh, olive oil, and this one is uh, bringing grain and wine offerings, mine says. Yeah, well, there are different offerings at different times, particularly the idea of, of wine and its relation and correlation uh, at times with the Holy Spirit is, is significant uh, for some. But again, the idea of the, the grain, yes, that's what the matzah is, the unleavened bread. It is the, the grain just put in the unleavened uh, bread form there. So grain's involved with, with both, but the idea of of wine, particularly when it comes to uh, first fruits and the correlation to the Holy Spirit, there is, is important. Although you have wine at Passover too, um, so this they're both there. Okay, well let me let me just share two other quick thoughts uh, before I close. One, we're not going to go into detail, but if you look at the next holiday. In Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to get back there now. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. It says in verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord. Then in verse 23, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Basically, this is the Feast of Trumpets, and, and I want you to see what's going on. You have that last spring feast, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Then there's the whole summertime. During the summertime, there were no holidays. Why? Again, it's an agricultural society. At that point, all their energy and effort is being put into bringing the harvest in. Then they get to this next feast, the first of the fall feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, the significant thing here is it says it's a, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, but throughout the pages of Scripture, nowhere does it say what it's a reminder of. 
There are certain sacrifices that were done, but the main point of the holiday is the blowing of the trumpet. It is the Feast of Trumpets. So what do we do with that? Well, within Judaism, they say, well, it must be important that we're blowing the trumpet. Therefore, it must be a memorial of the creation. So we're remembering the creation of man. So that's why we remember. And that's why within Judaism, this also becomes the Jewish New Year, although it's the seventh month. Because they say the blowing of the trumpets is the memorial of creation. And when should the year begin? It should begin when God created things. But nowhere in scripture does it make that correlation. So what do we do with the blowing of the trumpet? Well, I want you to hear something here. We talked about the prophetic nature of the feasts. Jesus died at the Passover. He rose on first fruits. The church started at the Feast of Pentecost. Where does that put us now as far as prophetically? Well, it puts us in the summertime of harvest, doesn't it? We need to be putting all our energy and effort in the work of the harvest because what's the next prophetic event scripturally? The way I read the scripture, it's the blowing of a trumpet, isn't it? Uh, that blowing of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up with him in the air and so we will be with the Lord always. I believe the Feast of Trumpets, it's not delineated, it's not explained why the trumpet is sounded because it's speaking prophetically about trumpets that's going to sound. And the fall feasts all point to future events in a very real way. They have practical applications like the spring feast. And I would love to share that with you guys uh, down the road, maybe even face to face, may God allow. Uh, but you know, that idea of looking forward uh, to that trumpet sound when we're with the Lord. But what does that mean for us? Again, the practical application I would challenge you with is we're in the time of harvest. We need to be spending our time and energy and effort in bringing the harvest in so that people would know. Because people need to hear, people need to know. And I pray that the Lord would bless you and the church as you do the work of the harvest. And I pray that you would pray for the work of Chosen People Ministries as we do the work of the harvest here in South Florida. It takes a lot of uh, takes a, a, a lot of ingenuity now to figure out an imagination to figure out how to do that well in these days. But God has put us in this place for a reason, and he has a harvest for us. Let's be faithful in pursuing the people God brings our way, either face-to-face -face or virtually, uh, so that we can encourage them and point them to him. So that's why I wanted to share with you this morning. Uh, Stephen, any, any thoughts that you want to share? before we close? No, I really appreciate your presentation, both of your presentations, and um, I think it would be great if there is a point in the future where we could have you in and, and possibly even re repeat the, uh, the Passover. I thought that was really interesting, and it would be great to see it in, in person and be able to be a little more participating in that, but I really appreciate all that you've shared with us this morning. On behalf of the whole church, thank you very much for being here. Well, thank you all. And again, to be honest, just to stick something in your mind, next spring I'm, I'm planning on rescheduling a lot of the trip places in Texas that had canceled on me this year. So I'm going to be probably in your neck of the woods. So if you all want to schedule something for, for next spring to us all sit together and maybe partake of those elements, excuse me, on a, a weeknight, 
or on a, a, a Sunday night, that, that would be great. But also I would ask you uh, again, go to that website. If you can put that slide up again when you have the opportunity, uh, chosenpeople.com slash pray, the number four and J-A-M, Jim, pray for Jim. That gives you the opportunity to sign up for a newsletter. Please do that. Please jot down my email address. And if you'd love to talk more about our ministry, uh, and more about things we've been talking about today, I would love to set up a, a Zoom meeting one-on-one -on -one or FaceTime or some other way of connecting with you guys and sharing more about what God is doing down here in South Florida and how you can be a part of that. So, can you repeat what your email address is so I can uh, type it on? In sure. Here? Email address is jfox, jfox at chosenpeople.com. I do know how to spell chosen, but is it one or two O's? It's one, right? Uh, it's one, one O. Yeah, I, I, just, I was just making sure everybody else knew that, so thanks. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I can be the same way with some words, so there you go. So, Sid, would you be up for giving us a closing prayer? Certainly. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we've had, Lord, to, uh, to learn more about you and man. What a, what a special time this was to uh, the amazing uh, detail, Lord, that we got from all this. And, uh, and help us not to get lost in the details, but to uh, draw closer to you, Lord, as we understand uh, how you work and, and uh, how you work in each of our lives. And I pray for your divine blessing on uh, all who are uh, on Zoom here with us this morning. And, uh, and Lord, we just pray for our nation, Lord, that uh, we'll uh, get through this all together. And, and Lord, help us to be encouraged versus discouraged. And uh, uh, we just uh, ask this all in your name for you, sake. Amen. Well, God bless you all, and thank you again for the opportunity.